is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. As we go to air this afternoon, the Victoria Highway is closed at Butler Creek, which is to the west of Timber Creek. So Highway 1 is closed. As we go to air this afternoon, a representative from the Department of Infrastructure will be on the radio in just a moment to give us the latest information. Also today, if you own a dog, please stay tuned to the Country Hour because this wet, wet weather is creating perfect conditions for ticks and the diseases they carry. They can really explode in numbers very quickly. A single female can lay in excess of 3,000 eggs in one sitting. Um, and so you can appreciate that, you know, if you, if, even if you've only brought one tick home with you, you suddenly have a whole lot in your environment. Yeah, a warning today on ticks and some good advice on how to keep your dogs safe. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour. We are broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Uh, first up today, let's head to Ali Karung in Central Australia, where an Indigenous group has teamed up with Australia's largest garlic producer. Now, over the last few years, this group has been trialling different varieties of garlic in the red, sandy soils, but now they are busy planting a commercial crop. Victoria Ellis went along to check it out. The Alikarung Horticulture Farm is about 350 kilometres north of Alice Springs. It was established by Centre Farm Aboriginal Horticulture to provide training and employment opportunities for the local community. Tisha Corbett and Sabrina Kelly are Eluwa women who have been working on the farm. Tisha says she's learned a lot while trialling the growth of different varieties of garlic over the past four years. Get to um, learn, like learn um, how to grow and how to prepare. Yeah, so it's been good learning on, on the job. What sort of experiences had you had of planting and growing things before the garlic trials? Um, I didn't know anything about growing anything. Sabrina, what are some of the things that you have learnt over the last four years of the garlic trial? What sort of fertiliser we have to use for the soil and also how much water we need a day. The program has also brought the community together to work as a team. For Tisha and Sabrina, it's important because it's an opportunity to teach the next generation. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's good like for the kids to join in because they get to learn um, growing farm. and food, you know, and what's healthy yeah. and, yeah, they're and growing. Yeah. This is also part of the future yeah? Yeah. for the children to learn their children. Yeah, I'm Joe Clark. I work in Ali Karung community. We work for Centre Farm. Centre Farm was formed about 15 years ago, but uh, the project that we're planting garlic with, that's a, uh, it's a pathway, a clear pathway, so we can work our way out of poverty and um, get meaningful employment. Joe is an Arunda man from Central Australia. He's the farm manager. He says the first years of the trial were hit and miss, but last year was good and this year they're hoping to better their harvest again. It is a bit exciting when you've got a semi-commercial crop ready to go and uh, if you would have told me that three years ago, I would have said, uh, yeah, maybe, but yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to see 
the younger people jump on the tractors, plough the dirt, lay the sprinklers and get an exciting three and a half hectares ready for Gaelic Australia. It, it makes my job worth, worthwhile coming up to work every day. Well, good luck guys. Let's, fingers crossed, we'll have a lovely season. Hello, my name is Nick Diamantopoulos. I'm the CEO of Australian Garlic Producers. Usually garlic is a cooler climate crop. This is um, our most northern crop. Um, all our other crops sort of start coming in late September, October. So to be able to have garlic coming in in August and to grow garlic literally in the desert is quite unique. What does that allow producers to be able to do? Well, what it allows us, it allows us to go to market and extend our garlic season. So most other countries in the world, they, they actually harvest garlic for anywhere between three, four weeks, maybe six weeks maximum. But to be able to harvest fresh Australian garlic for a five, six-month window is just pretty well unheard of. And does that mean that Australians will be able to buy Australian garlic for longer durations of the year? That's the idea. The idea is to replace imported garlic and to have fresh Australian garlic all year round. And with our diverse climatic conditions, um, we can certainly do that. And what are some of the challenges of growing in this climate and in this soil? Look, this soil is obviously very hungry. It lacks a lot of organic material. Um, but again, you know, it's all about rebuilding the soil over, over years and um, um, good crop rotations. Um, obviously, you can also get extreme weather. Um, you can get very, very cold conditions and you can get very, very hot conditions. Um, but having said that, garlic's a pretty hardy crop. And if you marry up the right variety for the right area, you're halfway there. During the trial, some centre farm workers, including Sabrina, had the opportunity to visit the Garlic Australia headquarters in Mildura. There, Sabrina saw her own garlic that she grew, boxed and ready for the supermarket shelf. When they harvested first, second garlic here, and we went to that place, that um, factory, and they told us that this garlic belonged to you, and that made me happy. Sabrina and Tisha and the other Ali Karung workers are eager to sell their produce around the country. Maybe around the world, maybe too. Yeah. How does yeah. that make you feel? Proud. Uh, makes proud and I'm very proud. Yeah. That is Tisha Corbett and Sabrina Kelly planting garlic near Ali Karung at a commercial level with the help of Australia's largest garlic producer, Nick Domantopoulos. I personally can't wait to have a pan with some fresh barramundi in it from the top end, bit of butter and a bit of garlic from Ali Karung. How good will that be? It is 23 to 1. You are tuned into the Country Hour. As we go to air this afternoon, it's pouring rain in various parts of the top end. There's a number of roads that have been closed or deemed impassable. Highway 1 to the west of Timber Creek is closed as we go to where this afternoon. We'll get the latest from the Department of Infrastructure next. If you have a question that you'd like to put to them, send it through now on the text, which is 0487 991057. This is Graham Connors on a Monday lunchtime. Right across the Territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brand with you this afternoon. And as we go to where the Victoria Highway is closed at Butler Creek. So this is to the west of Timber Creek. And there's a number of other top-end roads either closed or deemed impassable. There's a bit going on this afternoon, so that's why we thought we'd get Shane Tepper on the radio. Shane is from the Department of Infrastructure. Thank you for your time, Shane. Let's maybe 
start with Highway 1 and the closure there of the Victoria Highway. What can you tell us? Uh, yes, uh, so as you mentioned, um, there is flooding at the Butler Creek on the Victoria Highway, so so the road is currently closed um, sort of between Timber Creek and the WA border. And what's your intel in terms of how long that could last, Shane? Uh, look, we're not sure at this this stage. It's going to depend on just sort of what rainfall we have in those catchment areas over the next um, day or two. It was a busy weekend in ways for the Victoria Highway because at one stage the Matheson Creek was up and sort of blocked the blocked the highway. Uh, have you heard at this stage of any damage to Highway 1? Uh, look, not, not that we're aware of at this um, point in time or in terms of significant damage, um, but we do have um, inspectors out on the road today um, to, to, to assess if there has been any damage to the roads. There's water over parts of the Arnhem Highway and the Stewart Highway as we go to where. Uh, what can you tell us there? Um, so those roads are, are currently open, but um, you know, as, as you have mentioned, there is water over the road at, at various locations. So, so drivers do need to exercise caution if they're driving on those roads. If I was looking to jump in the truck this afternoon in Alice Springs and drive up to Darwin, what would be the advice? Uh, look, it is really, you know, slow down, drive to the conditions and uh, to sort of don't attempt to, to cross flooded um, roadways or crossings. Yep. And also, uh, if we get off the road for a moment and talk about the rail line, it was closed for a moment last week because of a partial train derailment. What can you tell us there, Shane? Uh, yeah, so the, road, the rail line has been cleared um, and has reopened over the weekend. Um, so the impacted um, freight service arrived in Berrimer on Sunday afternoon. Wonderful, wonderful. In terms of roads, anything else that you feel our audience should be aware of before we let you go? Uh, yes, uh, the Daly River Road um, reopened this morning. Um, so that was flooded at, Be at Backyard Creek over the weekend. Yep. Um, and we also, um, so Port Keats Road's currently at Passable at the Bull Bull Bridge. So we do have um, water overtopping the bridge. Okay. And I've got one little message here from a cattle station that says the Matheson Creek is just below the deck of the bridge this afternoon. But um, it's looking like a bit of a wet week ahead, isn't it, Shane? Uh, it is. So, look, we encourage um, road users to, to check the latest conditions on the Road Report website. So, you know, road conditions can change rapidly this time of the year. Mm. I know you're busy, so thanks so much for your time, Shane. All right, Norris. Thanks very much. That is Shane Tepper from the Department of Infrastructure. Hello there. My name's Norm Hedich from Taruna Proprietary Limited, and we're Spanish mackerel fishermen in the Northern Territory, and you're listening to the Country Hour. There is a bit going on. As Shane mentioned, Highway 1 is closed to the west of Timber Creek. The Butler Creek is up out of its banks and has closed the Victoria Highway. Uh, Sandy is the new manager of the Timber Creek Hotel and she's on the line this afternoon. How's things looking at Timber Creek this afternoon, Sandy? Very wet at the moment. Uh, just raining nice and steady and heavy at the minute, so... How is that mighty Vic River looking? Have you had a chance to check it out? It is gushing. <laughs> it's huge. 
And um, I guess the news this afternoon is that the Vic Highway is closed to the west of town, a fair way west, but still, uh, are you noticing any bank up of traffic there at Timber Creek? Um, well, we, it, it, it actually was already closed this morning um, for a little while, so people haven't been able to get through much anyway. So the, the, there's a few cars sitting around waiting to uh, learn their fate, but we've, we're holding rooms for them just in case. Rightio. So, so just a few? You haven't got half the Territory sitting there this afternoon? No, <laughs> no, because it's been fairly impassable for quite a while and uh, so no-one's been getting through anyway. Yep. Uh, what's it, apart from the weather this week, what's it been like in Timber Creek since the Kimberley Bridge there at Fitzroy went down? Look, uh, that, I can't comment too much on that because I have only been here a week and a half. Ah, right, yep. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no, I can't really comment on that. No, you, you can just only imagine the, the flow of traffic from the west is probably not what it usually is. No, well, is. Yeah. actually, we've come from Kununurra, so oh, we, right. we, can, we can see there that um, uh, not much coming through anyway. So, If, if you're from Kununurra, Sandy, is your Facebook page just filled with locals jumping in waterfalls, is it? I'm, I'm kind of sick Absolutely, of saying all that. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. making me envious. <laughs> yeah, no, everything's pumping. Our, our family's there and they keep sending us videos and we're <laughs> jealous. Lake Kununurra looks beautiful at the moment with all the waterfalls going in. Oh, absolutely stunning, yeah. yeah. All righty then. Well, all, all, the, all the best at Timber Creek and uh, look you. look after those who are, who are stranded for the moment. Mm. <laughs> Will do. Will do. Have a lovely day. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sandy there, the new manager at the Timber Creek Hotel. The Victoria Highway is closed there at Butler Creek. If we get any more information while we're on air, we'll make sure we share it with you. G'day, this is Tom Dawkins from the NT Buffalo Industry Council, and you're listening to The Country Hour. We just had a question come through for the department. We'll have to put it to them maybe tomorrow or next time they're on. The question was, there are a lot of bridges that are in really bad condition. Some are nearing failure. What's their plan to upgrade them to support our future economy? Good question. Still on the topic of roads, last week the Country Hour went for a test drive in Australia's first commercially available electric ute. So this is the first commercially available uh, electric ute in Australia. Um, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that people were saying that electric utes didn't exist anywhere in the world. Well, here it is right now. I'm touching it as we speak. Looks pretty real to me. That's it. It's no unicorn. It's right here. Yeah, the ute is here. It looks pretty good. But there are many who feel it's not up to the job on most Australian farms with only a 330k range and a one-tonne towing capacity. Warwick Long had a chat to Ben White, who tests farm equipment for the Kandinan Group. And he feels this sort of technology is the future. There's just still a bit of work to be done. Yeah, well, look, it's probably one of the the easier things to uh, electrify, if you like, uh, on farm. And I think... Uh, you know, it's great to see the the, the technology, and, and even if it's a, a quite a base model, um, uh, as as was pointed out in in uh, your little drive there, Warwick. I think uh, it's good to see the tech there, and and to see you know what will probably be the first step in an evolution of, of vehicles in the future. Um, but of course, you know, uh, 
We really need something that's equivalent, that's going to be fit for purpose. And, and, uh, and when we say it's equivalent, it's got to be as good as, or if not better than, uh, than the, the current vehicles we've got uh, with regard to range, capacity and, and, uh, and towing uh, ability as well. So all those things need to come into play. And particularly a one-tonne towing capacity that's going to, to lead to a shorter driving experience when there's only 330 kilometres in an ideal world doesn't sound like will, it would entice many farmers. Is that fair to say? Oh, look, I think that's fair to say. Probably the bigger issue is that uh, that particular vehicle is only uh, a two-wheel drive, so it's only rear-wheel drive. Uh, I would think that most cockies would be looking for um, for something that's four-wheel drive. Um, you know, as, uh, as you know, some of you, your text messages uh, alluded to earlier, we want to be able to drive through the paddock, we want to go and check stock, we want to be able to, you know, carry loads to and from town. So, you know, um, again, it comes back to that equivalence and making sure that we've got something that's, uh, that's going to do the job that we needed to do. So with your testing ad on going through the things in your mind you'd like to see become available, what are the things that you're looking forward, looking for in an EV ute in the future? Oh, look, I think, you know, it's been mentioned, the range is a big issue, and, and we do big Ks in Australia, um, and, and uh, probably more than anyone would do in, in Europe, say, on-farm, or, or probably even in the US. Um, so, you know, range is a, is a big deal, and anyone who's driven a, an EV, and I have uh, have a few times, uh, range anxiety is a real thing. You know, so you're continually looking at the, at the gauge, and... Um, I guess planning where your next charge point's going to be, and so there's a, there's a little bit of uh, uh, I guess anxiety and, and also planning that needs to be built into that, and that's okay. That's that's part of uh, what we need to do. Uh, once that range sort of is equivalent to what we've got from a diesel perspective, uh, you know, if we're getting sort of seven, eight hundred, nine hundred k's to a, a, a charge, uh, as we would a, a tank of, of fuel then, you know, that probably will dissipate a little bit. So yeah, range is a big one. Towing uh, towing capacity is. is um, is important and uh, and certainly that was uh, mentioned. But I think uh, you know there's there's obviously other vehicles out there that uh, from an EV perspective and the Ford uh, F150 Lightning is is a good example. It's got about four and a half ton towing capacity. Um, so you know there are other options out there that uh, that probably do tick a few more boxes. But as I say, it's good to see the tech here and the conversation starting. Yeah. So we've had. Uh, electric quads, electric side-by-side vehicles. Now there's electric utes. Where yeah. are electric vehicles going for in agriculture? Do we have electric tractors yet? Yeah, look, there are a couple uh, on the market. Um, there's a, a, a few being brought to market uh, in the next uh, couple of years. They're all pretty small, though, Warwick. You know, we're, we're sort of talking, um, you know, that 100-horsepower equivalent sort of size, which is good for horticulturalists and and, uh, and smaller uh, area operators who aren't requiring that, that big power for to say tillage or, or uh, any you know, heavy-duty sort of work. Uh, so, you know, they're out there. Fent have got one. Deer are bringing one uh, next year. So, you know, people should keep an eye out for that. I think one of the interesting things that, that um, you know, this, this all sort of points towards is that, you know, the, the, electri- uh, the electrical drive systems is, is probably what's key to all of this and, and, um, and the development of those in an EV sense uh, whether that's you know uh, wheel motors on tractors etc et or or components or even utes, uh, you know the development of that probably will will see, I guess the face of what we're driving, uh, regardless whether it's tractors or utes, uh, change in the future purely because you know we might move to a, a, a I guess a, uh, an intermediate stage where we're doing diesel electric, so you know diesel engine uh, driving electric wheel motors, you know, and that's that's pretty exciting because they offer uh, a lot of the same sort of benefits, you know zero. Uh, RPM uh, still with 100% torque and, and also you know high levels of efficiency in terms of um, power transmission. So, yeah, I think that's, um, that's exciting. That is Ben White who tests farm equipment.
at Condinan Group speaking there to Warwick Long. The first electric ute is in the country. Still a bit of work to be done, according to Ben. Floods can happen in a flash. That's why you need a proper emergency plan in place. Learn more about the history of flooding and flood warnings in your local area. Check your insurance. Have an emergency kit ready to go and identify an evacuation route and shelter for you and your family. Prepare, act and survive with ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Your emergency broadcaster. Yeah, very wet week ahead for the Northern Territory, it would seem. We are speaking to the Weather Bureau at five past one. As always, if you have a question for the Bureau, send it through on the text 0487 And just looking at the roads, my goodness, it's a long list. Some of the major ones to be aware of when it comes to roads being closed, impassable or just lots of water over the road. The Arnhem Highway, as we go to air this afternoon, has water over the road at various locations. The Barclay Highway has water over the road again at various locations. Proceed with caution is the advice there. The Buchanan Highway is closed at Dashwood Crossing. The Buntine Highway deemed impassable at the Armstrong River. Central Arnhem remains closed at the Waterhouse Bridge there at Beswick. The Duncan Road is closed at the Negri River Crossing. Roper Highway deemed impassable at Strange Ways Creek. As mentioned earlier, there's water over the road in various sections of the Stewart Highway. Tenemai Road has been closed between Granite's Mine and the WA border. And yes, Highway 1, Victoria Highway, closed at Butler Creek, which is to the west of Timber Creek. Uh, we're joined this afternoon by Jack Horgan, who is at Timber Creek. He works for one of the local Aboriginal corporations there. And Jack, you've just come back from a meeting of local emergency services. What can you tell us about that and what's planned? Uh, yeah, good day, Matt. Uh, yeah, um, it's just a collection of all the service providers with the NT Police. The NT Police run the run the Emergency Management uh, Committee, and we're on the committee, of course. Um, and um, uh, basically, we're, what we're planning, we're trying to be proactive as much as we can, um, in in as much that uh, uh, instead of waiting for all the bridge, roads and bridges to shut down and close and all the supplies be shut off from the Timber Creek Township, plus all our local communities, of course, Aboriginal communities. Um, we're trying to, some of the ones that are, are likely to be cut off very quickly, uh, we're, we're trying to work out how to get the people that are already in the communities uh, into a place where they can stay in Timber Creek itself as opposed to reacting after it's all flooded and then you can't do anything. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So, and uh, it is, it, there's, uh, Timber Creek itself, uh, we only got 50 mil last night, which is not a huge amount, but it's okay. But it's not so much the one, what rainfall comes on Timber Creek does not necessarily uh, indicate what's happening outside on the Vic Highway, for example, because it gets its, um, uh, its all the creeks flow, you know, from, from different directions. So um, and mostly they flow from the uh, south uh, east to the northwest. Uh, so if it's raining down in, in the um, southern um, uh, Victoria River catchment, uh, that's where all the water comes from that blocks all the roads. And yeah. I was just saying, saying to your producer a minute ago that uh, our, one of our plumbers came back from 
from um, uh, from Catherine yesterday afternoon, and he was stopped at uh, Matheson and also Skull Creeks for an hour and a half for each one. Gee. While he was waiting for the, waiting for the water to go from 900 mil down to 700 mil, so he could cross it. Wow! <laughs> so. And and just in town there, Jack, uh, do you feel there are some people from the outstations that have already come into town in preparation? Uh, yes, well, that's what we're trying to work out today. Um, uh, there's a, one particular nearby community. Fortunately, most of the nearby communities are, are, are close enough to be actually enough access to the town, no problem. But there is one, Gilwee, which um, uh, has a small bridge across a, a, what is now a flooded creek, uh, and the bridge itself uh, it gets flooded, so you can't actually cross it. Um, and uh, that's the main one we're concerned about right now, simply because uh, once they're in there, they can't get out to the Vic Highway. And what, it's not that far from, it's only about um, 15k from Timber Creek itself, but the problem is that uh, the community is, if, if it can't get across that bridge, there's no way they can get to the highway. So it's a bit of a problem there, and we're trying to figure out how we can um, move, well, we can physically move them, that's not an issue, but where they're going to stay, that's the, that's, yeah. that's the big issue. And, and, and just quickly, Jack, are people, I guess, still recovering from all of that rain that came with uh, Cyclone Ellie? Yes, yes, yes. There's been a big clean-up, uh, and that's been pretty well successful. Um, um, but it, we're just, as you quite correctly say, it's just um, completed uh, getting back to relative normal normality. Some of the houses were so badly damaged that you know, it needs major work done on them, or, or they have to do an assessment on some of the uh, Aboriginal community houses, uh, they may actually even have to basically start all over again with those. It might be cheaper to do that than it is to uh, to re try and rebuild them. But, um, but yeah, we are, we are, uh, we've just sort of recovered from this, that lot, and now <laughs> there's another lot which looks to be, depending on the, what the Bureau is saying, uh, it looks to be, it's going to be just as bad, if not worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the forecast is looking wet. Uh, Jack, we've got to go to the newsroom, sorry, but thank you so much for being our Timber Creek correspondent this afternoon. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. That is uh, Jack Horgan this afternoon. It is news time. See you back here in five for more Country Hour. G'day, this is Chris Nathaniel at Tropiculture Australia Bees Creek and you're listening to the Country Hour. Thank you, Chris. Chris has been very busy picking avocados in the last week or so. Northern Territory grown avocados. True story. Now, if you own a dog, please do stay tuned to the Country Hour because this wet, wet weather is creating some perfect conditions for ticks and the diseases that they carry. They can really explode in numbers very quickly. A single female can lay in excess of 3,000 eggs in one sitting. Um, and so you can appreciate that, you know, if you, if, even if you've only brought one tick home with you, you suddenly have a whole lot in your environment. Yeah, a warning coming up on ticks and some good advice on how to keep your dogs safe. And we've also got some news this afternoon. Some resources news regarding PNX metals and also core lithium. But before all that, let's go to the Weather Bureau. Billy Lynch is there this afternoon. And there's a lot to talk about. Billy, could we please start with the rainfall figures for the weekend gone, what are some of the, the best totals for the 72-hour period? 
Yeah, good afternoon, Matt. So, yeah, focusing around the Victoria River country, we've seen um, the Keep River National Parks reported 167 millimetres, West Baines River 173, Coolabar Station 144, Border Creek 199. So some pretty decent totals there. And then a bit further east um, through that MacArthur River region, we've seen uh, Favink Range 145, Nathan River 145, um, and Nutwood Downs 115. Through the Daly region, um, we've seen some good falls of between, you know, 100 to 150, um, including Dry River 140. Uh, and then even McMinn's Lagoon, worth a mention, 210 millimetres um, up there. Wow. Um, in contrast, though, it's probably worth pointing out in the last 72 hours, Catherine Bridge has only reported 15, so the rainfall has definitely eased through the Catherine and the Waterhouse regions. Yes. There's quite a few warnings in place this afternoon. Are you able to run us through those, please? Yeah, most definitely. So, um, look, we've got the moderate flood warning for the Daly River, um, which is in response to most of the rainfall that fell last week, the, the water's flowing through that system. So, yeah, um, yeah expected to um, reach a, a moderate flood um, probably later Tuesday, tomorrow. Um, and then, yeah, perhaps the peak being around sort of, you know, Thursday-ish, uh, dependent on further rainfall before the river starts to recede. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the flood watch out for, um, yeah, parts of the north. We've kind of chopped off a lot of the top end and just focused the flood watch now around the western top end and then uh, extended that further south uh, into parts of the Barkley and the Tanami districts. Um, this is all in association with a tropical low, which is deepening, which... Um, allows me to segue into the other severe weather warning, uh, which is um, for two different phenomena, um, for damaging wind gusts, so particularly across the daily daily region, Darwin and the Tiwi Islands, we could see some damaging wind gusts with monsoonal squalls coming through, Um, but also from what air southwards, this tropical low is going to bring some widespread heavy rainfall from tonight into tomorrow, so... Um, heads up to everyone down through that region. There's a lot more rainfall coming. Yeah. This tropical low, at this stage, what's its track and yeah, what's it expected to do in the coming days? Yeah, so briefly, it's a bit of a complex interaction. There, there's two tropical lows, um, both either side of the Kimberley. Um, they're going to sort of merge together. And by tomorrow, um, we'll have quite a deep tropical low just to the south of the the Joseph Bonaparte Gulf. Um, So from around about midnight tonight, um, from sort of Wadair down to Timber Creek, there will be, you know, a period of sustained heavy rainfall and squally winds associated with that system. And then during the next few days, the the low will be probably quite slow moving near that Gregory district um, and so that's when you know, there's going to be the potential for widespread rainfall across the Victoria River catchment and extending uh, almost as far south as uh, you know, Tennant Creek in the northern Tanami district. Wow. Um, watching Landline yesterday and the, and the, the track for the low, it, uh, it appeared potentially some, some really big rainfall totals are destined this week. Potentially, there's going to be a lot of rainfall, yeah. Um, 
we're kind of what we're forecasting is you know we're, we're quite confident that there's going to be sort of widespread daily totals of 50 to 100 millimeters um pr probably higher totals here and there up to around the 150 mark um but you know depending on the the, the movement of the low you know yeah. some of these falls could accumulate over a few days so I guess I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a three-day accumulation might be 200 millimetres or more at some places. The week ahead for those in Central Australia, what can you tell them? You're much more settled, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, just some patchy cloud temperatures close to average or a little bit above, so mid to high 30s across the Lassiter and the Simpson district. Winds will increase a little bit on Wednesday as a ridge of high pressure strengthens, so the fire danger is increasing a little bit through there, but um, really it's just hot with some gusty easterly winds and a bit of cloud cover. And a question's come through on our text line here, Billy. It says, why does the Weather Bureau continue with Dumb and Meary weather site where no one lives? It's a crabber's camp, apparently. Should be moved to Dundee Beach where there's a large permanent population. What's the go? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm sure a move to Dundee Beach would be welcome. Um, it's quite a, I find it quite a useful site for, for winds offshore. Um, and it, I know the tropical cyclone forecasters find it very useful as well, so... Um, look, it does have its benefits, but uh, certainly agree uh, a weather station at Dundee at Beach Dundee. would be useful too. Yeah. All right. Lots going on. Thank you for your time, Billy. Thanks, Matt. Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. Another text here from Graham in regards to our earlier story about electric utes and electric farm vehicles. Graham says, Matt, the UK is years ahead of us in EV conversion of Land Rovers for farmers, says Graham on the text 0487 Just a few more rainfall figures for the 24-hour period. Uh, these are totals coming in from cattle stations via social media. Campfield. In the VRD, they're reporting 103 millimetres. Mount Sanford, 72. Tenebrini's recorded 76. 102 at Saddle Creek, 47 at Timber Creek, 41 at Eva Downs and 30 at Murrinjai. Get your garden ready for autumn with the March issue of ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Select some gorgeous ground covers, grow herbs for the cooler months and choose your favourite bulbs for spring colour. Learn about gardening on a steep slope the wonders of compost and the benefits of chook tractors and read about the amazing revegetation of a tropical Queensland island. Gardening Australia magazine, available from newsagents and abcmagazines.com.au. And just repeating that severe weather warning in place for damaging winds and heavy rainfall for people in the Daly, Tiwi, Gregory and parts of the Barclay, Tenamai and Carpentaria districts. Damaging wind gusts possible through the Daly and Tiwi. Heavy rainfall developing across the Gregory district overnight Monday and Tuesday. It is a big system. The Bureau is set to update this warning at 5 o'clock this afternoon, so stay tuned to the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. It is very wet in the top end, very wet. Des at the Little Roper Stock Camp. He was on ABC Radio this morning. He says it's been a very wet few days. The river is up there at Matarenka, and the barramundi are biting. It's had a really good flush. It went up to about two metres um, above the bridge on the Homestead Road there. Above and the then... bridge? Above the bridge, yeah, so we got a boat in and we just boat across. We got you, we knew it was going to happen, so you take cars on the other side. We've got a couple of cars over there. We basically had 
400 over five days, which for down here is pretty good. Um, our average is only around eight, a bit over eight hundred. So to get 400 in in about five days was was excellent. Um, and it's really got the fish going. Like even before this event, they were catching them off the bridge there on the Homestead Road, and people went out to Donkey Flat, which a lot of locals will know about around this area around the Katsuma region and yeah someone got a metery there yesterday and another bloke got five um so yeah it's it's really it's exactly what the system needs to make make those fish sort of move up and down and it'll set the season for a really good year. There's Des Barrett at the Little Roper Stock Camp speaking to Joe Laverty earlier this morning wet around Matarenka the barra are biting (laughs) my goodness there's some illegal fishing going on as well, apparently. A joint statement has come out from the Australian Fisheries Management Authority and Australian Border Force, which informs us that they have apprehended an illegal foreign fishing vessel in Australian waters. The statement says eight crew members were on board the Indonesian fishing vessel, along with an estimated 250 kilos of sea cucumber, 15 shark fins, fish and fishing equipment. The vessel, catch and fishing equipment were all seized and were brought into Darwin along with the crew. AFMA's chief executive, Wes Norris, says illegal foreign fishing undermines Australia's efforts to manage fish resources sustainably and can have devastating impacts on marine ecosystems. He says the offenders face the prospect of significant fines and the loss of their vessel, which has a detrimental impact on their livelihoods. Additionally, we are continuing to work closely with Indonesia to address this issue um, at its source. So that's some information through Care of Border Force and AFMA, the Australian Fisheries Management Authority. 250 kilos of sea cucumber. That is a lot of tree pang. Hello, my name is Chris Zolis. I'm the Managing Director of Verted Minerals, the owner of the Amaru Phosphate Project on Amaru Station, south of Tennant Creek, and you're listening to The Country Hour. It is 16 past one. Turning our attention now to the resources sector, the NT Government has granted PNX Metals... It's environmental approval for its proposed gold, silver and zinc mine to the north of Pine Creek. So, what does this mean for its proposed Fountainhead project? And what's next for PNX Metals? Max Rowley had a chat to its managing director, James Fox. So really what that means for the project now is that uh, pending the submission and approval of, of a mine management plan, which is the... Um, I guess is the practical sort of working document that takes into account all of the sort of controls and provisions that the project um, approval from the EPA now, well, we now have to put in place. Essentially, it means that, um, that, that yes, there's no further approvals, uh, environmental approvals at least, um, that we need to get for the Fountainhead Gold Project. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty big milestone for us um, in terms of, a, a, of achieving this hurdle. And just for some context, James, is this proposal for a new mine or to mine a previous mine site? Yeah, look, um, it's it's actually a um, it's a previously disturbed site. So the Fountainhead itself was a um, was a historic gold mine, and and our proposal is to is to remine or recommence mining and processing of ore um, at that site. 
And the the Fountainhead pit is currently flooded. How do you plan to dispose of the mine's wastewater? Yeah, so look, the um, the intent is that it's um, it's a zero discharge site with respect to water. So all of the water that we have there in the pit currently will be managed via um, forced evaporation and by natural evaporation and storage in the um, the existing evaporation ponds to the north, which will require um, some upgrading. But also that water will also be used as a, as process water for the um, proposed plant and infrastructure that's to be located at Fountainhead as well. And speaking of water, the NTEPA has identified risks to water and aquatic ecosystems from the project. But how do you plan to, to manage those risks? Look, the main, you know, the main concern all the way through this process from the EPA and, and from the company as well, from, from ourselves, has really been, yes, absolutely around water. You know, how we propose to manage the surface um, water, manage groundwater, and to ensure that we don't have any significant environmental impacts on that uh, on that water. So I mean we've done a we've done a huge amount of modelling um, technical work to demonstrate obviously and, and hence the reason why we got approval that um, you know the, the the mining or the remining that we're proposing to do in site here uh, won't have a, a significant uh, negative impact on the surrounding water. So it's really about ensuring that we when we do the work on site that we do it uh, in accordance with the approvals that we that we monitor and that we manage the uh, the surface and the and the groundwater in accordance with the approvals. Uh, and if we do that, uh, and obviously um, we're obviously um, monitoring water, as I said, at, at the same time, we've got a number of bores that are either in or proposed to be put in. Um, and those monitoring those bores will allow us to, um, I guess, ensure that we are able to adjust things if uh, if they're not going the right way. And you mentioned this was quite a big milestone for the company. Where to from here, James? Look, it's a, it's a huge milestone. I mean, um, you know, we are one of, I think, um, four projects that's been approved uh, under the new legislation. Uh, you know, it's a considerable amount of work, um, both for the EPA, obviously, um, because, you know, we, we, we obviously work together and work our way through this, the company and, and our consultants. Uh, and really now going forward, you um, you know, it allows us to re-engage with uh, prospective financiers. It allows us to continue with our, our optimization of the engineering and also now to continue to work through essentially the operational phases, which are drafting or completing the, uh, the mine management plans that then go through to the, uh, through to the department for approval uh, and also then um, working on our Hayes Creek, which is a zinc, gold, silver sulphide uh, flotation project and getting that lot uh, approved as well. That is James Fox, who is the Managing Director of PNX Metal, speaking there to Max Rowley. Sticking with Resources News, Call Lithium, which runs the lithium mine out near Darwin, it has announced today that it has started to produce spodumene concentrate at that project near Darwin. Dan Fitzgerald joins me in the studio. What can you tell us? So, Matt, Corlithium has finished building its dense media separation plant, which is a bit of a a basic processing plant there at the mine. And, yes, it's produced its first volumes of spodumene concentrates. 
Uh, you might remember um, earlier this year, um, Core Lithium actually exported its first product, but that was DSO or direct shipping. That was ore. just the ore, sending out the ore for so someone this, else to process. So this is a yep. bit more of a refined product that Core Lithium can now produce, gotcha. um, and it is expecting to send off its first uh, concentrate at the end of April. Mm-hmm. Um, also included in this update today was um, some trouble, well, um, the wet season. Uh, it's been raining quite a lot. So it's wet out there, Dan. That's filling up uh, the big mine hole there at, at Finnis. So the that's pit, uh, I think you call it the pit. The pit. Dan. So um, that has pushed things back a little bit on the timetable for core lithium. Um, some concentrate that it had supposed to uh, export in the first half of this year has been pushed back to the second half. Okay, and I think the shareholders might be focusing on that point this afternoon because as we go to air, shares in core are down by 4.4%. As the rain continues to pour down in the top end, dog owners are being warned to keep a lookout for pests and diseases, and in particular, ehrlichiosis, which is a tick-borne disease that has become endemic in the north of Australia. Dr Bonnie Cumming is a vet working in rural and remote communities in the north. She says ticks love these current hot, humid, wet weather conditions. Yeah, so ehrlichiosis is a tick-borne disease. You know, it was first discovered in 2020 over in WA um, and some testing following that showed that it was pretty widespread through the NT. Um, And really, it's gone to a stage now that we would consider it endemic and the impacts that we're seeing are fortunately lessening um, in that there's uh, when it first arrived and first hit, there were waves of deaths of dogs, particularly in remote communities that didn't have great tick protection programs in place. Um, we're not seeing that large-scale mortalities or large-scale deaths that we saw in, in those early days, but it is still a really serious disease and all of the NT is in a region that is at risk for ehrlichiosis because it's spread by that brown dog tick which loves the hot, humid conditions that the NT provides. Why? What do you think is behind the fact that you aren't seeing the the wild scale wide scale deaths that you had previously seen? Is it education? Is it sort of management actions, or what's causing that drop? Look, I think there's a combination. I think there's definitely been improvements in tick control programs, and that has certainly helped. And I think there is greater community awareness, although I think that's something that we always will need to work on to improve as well. Um, but I think probably a big part of it was that we had populations of dogs that had never been exposed to this disease, and so they their immune system wasn't at all familiar with it. Um, and so it really knocked a lot of dogs that, that didn't have the immune strength, I guess, to fight this infection. Those that did survive it um, have survived, and the, the dogs that remain in the populations now either potentially have already encountered that disease or hopefully uh, might have a, a bit of genetics uh, strength or immunocompetencies passed on to them through the generations. Well, it's great to hear that, that the impact is lessening, but it doesn't stop this being an incredibly serious tick-borne disease that people need to be aware of. And you said it, it particularly likes warm, humid conditions. We're in the middle of the wet season and it has been particularly wet. What impact do you see that having on the spread of ehrlichiosis? 
Yeah, look, it's really all about the conditions that, that support the brown dog ticks, which transfer this bacteria. And brown dog ticks really do love wet and humid environments, and they particularly thrive in, uh, in dwellings, you know, in the cracks in the brickwork or the cracks between concrete. They're really well adapted to living in places that we like to live. They're not the sort of ticks that you commonly find out in the bush. Um, and they can really explode in numbers very quickly. A single female can lay in excess of 3,000 eggs in one sitting. Um, and so you can appreciate that, you know, if you if, even if you've only brought one tick home with you, you suddenly have a whole lot in your environment. So regular tick control is key. And the best way to do that is by keeping your dog on regular tick preventatives. Uh, and for ehrlichiosis in particular, because it can be transmitted really quickly, you need a good product that actually prevents the ticks from biting in the first place and repels those ticks. So the tick collars, like the Soresto collars, um, or the spot-ons called Advantix are, are the absolute best option for ehrlichiosis. But in really high-risk regions, it's good to back that up with a chew, so something like Nexgard, Brevecto, um, Simparica or Credelio. You've mentioned what some of the tick preventatives are, collars, chews, that kind of thing. If you're worried that your dog might be have have come across a tick uh, and maybe impacted by lichiosis, what should you keep an eye out for and what should you do? So this disease is really variable in its presentation. It's a great mimic. It can look like lots of other diseases. Um, and the range of signs that we see is really variable depending on the dogs. But what will often happen is a couple of weeks after they've been bitten by a tick, they'll become tired and lethargic. They'll be sleeping lots. Uh, they might go off their tucker and not be wanting to eat. Um, often they, they will lose weight and sometimes they develop bleeding disorders. So you can sometimes see nosebleeds or bruising in unusual places like the gums or on their bellies. Um, sometimes they'll also develop cloudy eyes as an immune response to the infection too. Um, but really any, any sign just about can be a sign of a lichiosis. So it's really important that if you think your dog is off colour, if it's not well, if it's just not itself, that it does get checked by a vet. And particularly because with this disease, the earlier that it's treated, the better chance of recovery. Unfortunately, not all dogs, even with treatment, do recover if they have a lichiosis. It's a very serious disease and even, even dogs that have received appropriate treatment in a timely manner can still die. So the best chances of keeping your dog nice and healthy and safe against this disease, if you do think that they might be a bit sick, is to take them to the vet and get them treatment as soon as possible. Good advice here from Dr. Bonnie Cumming, who is a vet and also program manager with EMRIC, which is the Animal Management in Rural and Remote Indigenous Communities. She was speaking to Michelle Stanley. Just finally this afternoon, a text here from Graham regarding our stories today about the wet weather and the closure of the Vic Highway to the west of Timber Creek. Graham says, Matt, with the extreme rainfall and flooding that the top end is currently experiencing, it makes a mockery of the massive expenditure that was made in the past to flood-proof the Vic Highway. He says, I can remember in the last 20 years how many bridges were replaced, realigned and raised to upgrade the highway. Much of the highway was also realigned and completely upgraded. Makes me wonder if the engineers who designed these upgrades were taking into account the predictions about extreme and more frequent climatic events, or did they ignore it and just carry on business as usual? 
Much the same upgrades were done on the Stewart Highway with similar claims of floodproofing for the future. This lack of foresight is costing the whole community. Not good enough. Who is accountable? Says Graham on the text line. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Stay safe. Keep an eye on the Roads Report NT and the Bureau's website and keep listening to the ABC. And, of course, keep it rural.